the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. On Wall Street this morning, stock futures in positive territory. Dow futures up about 52 points. And NASDAQ futures ahead 23.5. S&P futures currently trading five points higher. This is SRN News. And while it's true that no true believer in Christ will ever permanently turn away from the Lord in pursuit of wealth, we are all prone to let money be a stumbling block in our lives. And, and we are all prone to let the love of money and things negatively affect our Christian walk. All of us. When we allow greed to make our decisions for us, we damage ourselves as well as the people we may trample in our pursuit of wealth. I know one couple who now are completely bankrupt and about to lose everything because they have ignored godly counsel and borrowed more than they can ever hope to repay, sending amazing amounts of money to scammers who claim to have millions of dollars for them. Their greed has cost them their future. You and I would never do such a thing, would we? Well, maybe not on such a grand scale, but if acquiring wealth is our goal in life, we still have the wrong objective. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying a portion of scripture that is uh, downright meddlesome. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul gives us some tips on money that seem on the surface to be counterintuitive. But he's absolutely correct in every word because God inspired those words and he makes no mistakes. Let's see how generosity makes more sense than greed. Here's Pastor Steve. You know, every once in a while, you hear or read about someone who was quite wealthy, yet they lived as a miser. For example, there's the story of William Lyons of Brighton, England, who dressed like a beggar, but was so cheap that he refused to buy a newspaper because the price was raised. And yet when he died, he left $750,000. Could have purchased a lot of newspapers with that, even the Sunday edition. Or there's the story of Carrie Werrett, who lived in a broken down dwelling in a neighborhood in Detroit, was being torn down actually to make way for a highway. From her bed in a charity ward, she told police officers that she, all that she had was in a safe back in her home. And that was true. And when they opened the safe, they found $291,000. Or there's the story of a man who told a friend one day that he didn't have $5 to pay back a debt. And yet when that same man died the very next day and detectives investigated his apartment, they discovered $61,000 in bonds and currency. But perhaps the most pathetic story of someone who was extremely wealthy and yet lived like a miser and hoarded their money. It's the story of Hetty Green, who actually has come to be known as America's greatest miser. Hetty Green died in 1916, 
And when she died, she left an estate of over $100 million. But this woman ate cold oatmeal. Why? Because it cost money to heat it. And she delayed so long in having her son's leg treated for some physical problem that they actually had to amputate his leg. She could have purchased a hospital. She didn't. See, Hetty Green, like all other misers, thought only about herself, and that's all. Though each of these individuals was wealthy, they tenaciously clung to their riches, they lived like paupers, and they shared their prosperity with no one. Absolutely no one. Now, this morning, as we continue our study of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to discover just the opposite of what it means to be a wealthy miser. We're going to discover the greatest example in all of, of history of generosity. Because we're going to discover and study about the generosity of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at one verse today, but how rich this one verse is. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now this verse is not isolated. It comes in a context. It comes as the final argument given by the Apostle Paul as to why the Corinthians should be generous. You'll recall, as we've said for several weeks, that this church was relatively comfortable, the Corinthians, compared to other churches in the Roman Empire. They were comfortable economically because of the prosperity that the city of Corinth enjoyed in that day. And yet they were not being generous. They were being stingy. They were being closed-fisted. Though other churches were doing their share in collecting money to help the poor saints in Jerusalem, the church at Corinth had stopped altogether. It wasn't that they were just giving a little bit. They were giving nothing. And that's why Paul penned chapters 8 and 9 to stimulate them, not only to give, but to give generously. And it is a tremendously challenging portion of Scripture for us. You know, and I'll tell you why, because it stretches us. These are stretching verses. They stretch us to think beyond ourselves, to consider the needs of others, and, and it, they force us to come to grips with why we are not more generous. Most of us struggle in this area. Most of us really do. We worry about money. We covet it. We wish we had what others have. We're, so we're jealous. We tend to be greedy. And a passage like this, and in fact, this whole chapter just exposes our, our real attitudes, real attitudes about money. We think too much about it. Think about how little we have, how much we we want how we can get that, what we're going to do with it once we get it. And, and so when we come to a passage of Scripture like, like this, dealing with generosity, it tends to expose us for the, the greedy, covetous, discontented people that we really are by virtue of our sinful flesh. And God knows that. And that's why he's written so much in his word about money. And, and most of the time, what he's written deals with the heart, our attitudes, our perspective. One of the great passages is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, in which the Apostle Paul wrote young Timothy to, to protect him, not to fall into this pattern. He said this, 1 Timothy 6, those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Now notice he didn't say those who are rich, those who pursue it, those who make it their goal, those whose ambition it is. 
to be rich. You can be very poor and yet fall into this category. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare. They're, they're, they're held captive by it, he's saying. And many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. It means spiritual ruin, spiritual destruction. And then he clarifies it. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by, once again, longing for it, not necessarily having it, but longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, in context, Paul is is referring to the sin of greed that drives false teachers and apostates away from the Christian faith. They are driven away from it forever. They do not come back. An apostate does not return. Their insatiable appetite to accumulate wealth leads them into sinful behavior, which Paul says eventually plunges them into hell. Eventually. And I remind you, it was for the love of of money that Judas Iscariot betrayed our Lord. There's 30 pieces of silver. That's why. And I remind you also, it was for the love of money that the rich young ruler lost his soul. As Jesus said, if you want to follow me, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And this man wouldn't do it. And why did Jesus say that? Because Jesus understood and knew that this man already had a God. He had no room in his life for Christ as God. He already had a God. It was called money. And so he was simply telling him to repent. And the man wouldn't do it. And he went away grieved, the Bible said, but he would not. He would not part with his money. We're not told whatever happened to this rich young ruler. For all we know, there's nothing that says anything beyond this. For all we know in Scripture, this man is in hell today. And yet Jesus Christ personally, personally said, come and follow me. And he would not because he loved money. And while it's true that no true believer in Christ will ever permanently turn away from the Lord in pursuit of wealth, we are all prone to let money be a stumbling block in our lives. And and we are all prone to let the love of money and things negatively affect our Christian walk. All of us. Now, in contrast to the greed of, of unsaved people as well as saved people, Paul instructs the Corinthians to be generous, generous. And in order to motivate them as well as us to be liberal in our giving, Paul has been giving, giving us some reasons why Christians should be generous. We've already looked at three of them. This morning, we're going to look at the fourth and final, and, and I might add most important of all reasons, Why should we be generous? First, he tells us because the Macedonians were generous. He developed that in verses 1 through 6. They were a poor people, but they gave out of their poverty. They're a great model for us as a church. If you want to see how generous a church should be, what it looks like, it's the Macedonians. Secondly, Paul tells us we should be generous because generosity is consistent with God's work in our lives. Verse 7 tells us this, but just as you abound in everything... He tells us some of the things we abound in, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you. See that you abound in this gracious work also. In other words, just as God has worked in your life by giving you spiritual gifts to serve him, by giving you a zeal to follow him, by giving you love for your apostle, so God is at work in your heart to transform you to be a generous person. To not be generous is to be an underdeveloped Christian to be unbalanced, to live a distorted Christian life and experience. So why should we be generous? The Macedonians were generous. It's consistent with God's work in our lives. And thirdly, because generosity is a major proof of love. 
Verse 8 tells us this, I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Paul refused to command the Corinthians to be generous. You, you really cannot command anyone to be generous. They, they might give, but it's not coming from their heart. You can't dictate this. But Paul did say that generosity is a valid test of whether you really love people or not, whether you really love the Lord or not. In other words, it's not enough and it's not right to just tell people you love them. Show it. Prove it. And you prove it by being generous. Now, this morning, we're going to look at the fourth reason why we should be generous. And it is simply this, because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know this. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, I want you to understand that this is a treasured verse. It has been treasured by Christians ever since it was penned by the Apostle Paul. It is a verse that is so simple that even a little child can understand this. It is a verse that is so profound and deep that to, to actually understand it in its fullness, I think, is impossible for us. It is precious, though. It is deep because it displays the incredible love and sacrifice and generosity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a sense in which no matter how much you study it, you, you can't possibly fathom its complete depth. And while this verse is filled with theological truths about Christ, about man, about salvation, the purpose for which Paul wrote this was actually quite practical and ethical in nature. It's, it's a practical verse. It is not an, a, a verse to set aside abstract theological truth for us to, to just chew on. It is a verse that is to motivate us to be generous. And I want to connect it for you. Look back at verse 8 again. You'll see the connection. Paul said, I am not speaking this as a command. I'm not telling you to be generous by way of dictating any, any law command to you but is proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of, of your love also. The apostle told the Corinthians that he would not and could not dictate generosity because generosity is something that comes from love and, and grace and not duty and law. But just because generosity is not a legal command in Scripture does not mean that generosity is left open to us as an option. It's not. God doesn't leave it open to us as an option. You don't need a law to tell you to be generous. Why? Because you have the example of Jesus Christ. We have to be generous because we know the grace of God. You don't need a biblical law. You don't need anyone dictating generosity. All you have to do is think back upon the generosity of Jesus Christ. And when Paul says in verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's speaking of, of his, his giving in our salvation. He's speaking of his generosity. Grace and generosity are used in the same manner here. Jesus Christ stands, even beyond the example of the Macedonians, as the supreme model and example of what it means to be generous. The Macedonians were a great example, but limited. They were poor people who actually gave to poorer people. But that's not the way it is with Jesus. Jesus, Jesus was wealthy. And he became poor to help others. This even goes beyond the wealth of anyone you might know. Down through the ages, there have always been wealthy people who have given. Always been people who have had compassion upon the poor. But no one in history apart from Christ, no wealthy person has ever 
given up all their wealth to help somebody who is poor, and they became poor in the process. Wealthy people give of their wealth, and they're still wealthy. And so they give more. But Jesus Christ stands alone in all of human history as the only one who impoverished himself to make others wealthy. Nobody else has ever done that. And as someone has put it, none was richer than he, none became poorer than he. This is the gospel that he's talking about. And you know, it's very possible that Christians, or the Corinthians rather, may not have been familiar with the Macedonians' generosity until they read what what we've just read in chapter 8. They may not have known about their generosity until Paul told them about it, but they were all familiar with the generosity of Jesus Christ. That's why it says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, how would they know that? Well, you can't be saved without knowing that. If you know Christ, you know about his generosity. Now, you may not have thought about it in in any terms beyond the theology and saving you. You may not have thought of his example. You may not have thought of the ethical side of this, but that's all wrapped up in, in this. Every Christian knows about the grace of God. You can't be saved apart from knowledge of the grace of God. If you think that you have to work your way to heaven, then you have never experienced salvation. For by grace, Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Paul also reiterated that in Romans chapter 11, in verse 6, when he said, but if it is by grace, meaning salvation, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Grace is giving. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is generosity. Every Christian knows about grace and generosity because Christ has been generous in giving us the riches of salvation. That's Paul's point. You know this. You don't need a law. You already know this. So Paul reminds the Corinthians what they already had known and experienced. And his point is this. If Jesus Christ was generous in saving you by his grace, then you need to be generous too. That's the whole point of this. If Jesus Christ sacrificed for you, and if his sacrifice cost him everything, and it did, all of his riches, then how can you not sacrifice in being generous to others? That's that's exactly, in a nutshell, what Paul is saying. Now, it may very well be that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, but you may it may never have dawned upon you that there is an ethical demand, that because he was generous, you and I must be generous as well. And so, if after everything Paul has taught us about generosity, you find in your heart that you are still reluctant to share your money in the support of the Lord's work and the Lord's people, then you need to listen very closely as Paul teaches us that Jesus Christ is the supreme example of generosity and all the details involved in that. That's the purpose of this. And Paul does this by explaining three aspects of Christ's generosity or his grace as it relates to our salvation. This is a very easy outline to follow. We're going to look at, number one, the riches of Christ. Number two, we're going to look at the poverty of Christ. And number three, we're going to look at our riches through his poverty, which is exactly what the passage, uh, how it breaks down. The first aspect of Christ's generosity that Paul mentions is, number one, the riches of Jesus Christ. He says at the beginning of verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord 
Jesus Christ. You, you understand this. In describing God's graciousness and merciful action in saving us, Paul reveals the magnitude of this grace. And he does it by telling us how Jesus Christ was rich. He was rich. He was wealthy. And the reason Paul does this is he is reminding us all that Jesus gave up for us, all that he gave up in that he gave his riches. And he wants us to grasp the overwhelming generosity of Christ in his giving. Now, the question is, what are the riches that he's referring to? It's a critical question because if you don't understand this, you really miss the point of the passage. You're not going to appreciate the extent of his grace and generosity, and you really won't understand all that he gave up. Now, it's important to realize that when Paul speaks of the riches of Christ, he is not referring in any way to his earthly riches, or even, I might add, his earthly existence. That's that's irrelevant at this point. He is referring, and watch this, he is referring to his pre-existent state and his eternality as God. That is to say, how rich is Christ? Jesus Christ is as wealthy as God because he is God. That's what Paul is teaching. The Bible is abundantly clear that Jesus Christ is fully God. He is the creator of the universe, of the heavens and the earth. He is in no way any less deity than God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. He is fully God. He has never stopped being God. He is the second member of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Bible has so many references on this that there's no way that anyone could miss this unless they want to miss this. There's no way that anyone with an open mind can read the Bible and conclude anything other than Jesus Christ is fully God. For example, John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word was God. He was not a God. Anyone who tells you it ought to be translated as Jehovah's Witnesses say as a God. Let me just say, they don't, they don't know their, the Greek. They don't understand how, how the Greek language works. That's absurd. That's heretical. That's, that's bad translation. He was with God, face to face with God the Father. And he is fully God. In Isaiah chapter 9, in that great Christmas passage we, we speak of, Isaiah referred to the Lord Jesus as the mighty God, and he said the everlasting Father, meaning that he is the originator of all. He is the source of all. He is the eternal one. Asaph wrote in Psalm 50, For every beast of the field is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world is mine and all it contains. Now, while the point of this psalm is to rebuke Israel for their external worship with sacrifices while not submitting their hearts to the Lord, John W. Peterson points out in his song, He is my father, so they're mine as well. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I know that he will care for me. God doesn't need our stuff because it's already his. What he wants is our devotion, which will then move us to the same kind of generosity that Jesus demonstrated in becoming a man and dying for our sins. You've been listening to Verse by Verse. Thanks for tuning in. 
Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're interested in visiting Lakeside sometime, you can get directions and service times by going online to lakesidechapel.com or call the church office at 727-441-1714. That's lakesidechapel.com or 727-441-1714. And by the way, if you're looking for a Christian school in Clearwater, you might consider Lakeside Christian School. They offer a fine education whether your child is in elementary school, middle school, or high school. Find out more at lakesidechristianschool.org. Verse by Verse is listener-supported, and we thank you for your gifts and prayers. If perhaps the Lord is speaking to you about helping with the cost of producing and airing these broadcasts, there's information on the giving page at our website, versebyverseradio.org. And don't forget about all those audio files. We keep all of our previous broadcasts on the Message Archive page so that you can stream or download them to share with friends, catch up on ones you've missed, or just to refresh your memory. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. It's hard to imagine, or maybe impossible to imagine, just how rich Jesus is. Paul described Jesus to the Colossians this way, By Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, for We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.